Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. How can what you eat have an effect on your brain? Well, numerous medical journals have published studies supporting the use of certain herbs and nutrients in the treatment of what are called neurodegenerative disorders. But most people don't know how to incorporate this into their daily diet. Well, today we are going to learn how. Dr. Cheryl Shook is a neuroscientist. She's here in the studio. She's the co-author of a book that provides detailed strategies supported by scientific evidence on how adding certain nutrients into the diet can actually help with conditions such as Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, dementia, and more. We're going to be talking today about these different things that all of us could do, not just if we have these diagnoses, but in some cases to prevent them from happening. And as always, our show is your show. So you can join us at any time at 941-3689, toll free, 877-941-3689. Dr. Shrek, welcome to The Body Show. I appreciate your inviting me. Well, you were on earlier talking about the lecture series you did at Kapilani Community College. And I had a chance to go there for the third lecture, which was fantastic. How to train your brain to do things differently and change your habits. It was wonderful. Um, I still I, I, I still like Snicker bars. But, you know, I'm working on it. I'm going to train my brain not to like them. Or you're eating them mindfully now. Well, or I'm not eating. I haven't been recently. I've been really good. And they have that huge one for Christmas. I'm not going there. <laughs> All right. So we're talking today about herbs and nutrients. Now, what inspired you to write a book like this. You're a neuroscientist by training. You partnered with a co-author in doing this. But what inspired you to say, I want people to know these things? Because normally when, when I think of neuroscientists, I don't necessarily think of them telling me how to eat. Yes, yes. I think one of the first things that came up for me was I was working in a seizure unit. And when I was there, I felt like I saw all of the, the wonderful things that we can do in Western medicine, a lot of healing and successful surgeries. But I also felt like there wasn't as much healing as could be happening. You know, I felt like, oh, we could be doing more for these patients. And then I started uh, looking for some books and resources that would help people to learn how to use herbs and how to use nutrients in order to heal and to prevent these neurologic disorders, and I couldn't find anything. It felt like, when I was looking, it felt like the literature and the resources were either way over to herbal medicine and alternative, what some people call alternative medicine, um, or it was surgeries and medications, and I just felt like that dualistic thinking of either or was a bit of a trap, and, and I felt like, can't we put something together where folks can see that there's a value in medications and surgeries and there's a value in nutrients and herbs and other practices. And then I met my wonderful co-author, Dr. Sidney Kern, and, uh, and this just came from a conversation that I had with him, this dream to put this information out there. And so, you know, we always we often talk about using food as medicine, using mm -hmm. certain types of ingredients in food. We know that we get a lot of nutrients from food. We get a lot of vitamins and minerals and all sorts of things. What's different about the approach that you're taking? Oh, yes. So there's 
two things that come to mind at first when you say that, and, and that would be reducing oxidation and reducing inflammation. And those are two big buzzwords in medicine right now. Oxidation, free radicals, inflammation. A lot of different medical conditions are being traced to those two areas of concern that happens in our body and, and happens in response to a variety of sorts of things, whether you injure yourself, what you eat, what's going on with your medical conditions. So let's talk first about oxidation. What do you exactly mean by oxidation? Explain it to someone who looks at you and says, what's that? <laughs> okay, yes. So oxidation is uh, just quite basically is a molecule losing an electron. Um, but really what we're talking about is a process in the body that in some instances, is just a healthy response to things that are happening in the body. It's one of the ways that your body fights off pathogens, for example. So oxidation is something that is a normal process in the body. But then what happens is um, if oxidation gets carried away because somebody is eating unhealthy foods or not getting enough sleep um, or they have excessive stress, so many different things can cause excessive oxidation. So now we take this normal process in the body, like I said, basically a molecule losing an electron, which can damage tissue. And we can say that somebody might be in oxidative stress. So now this normal process has gone too far, and now tissue can be damaged. Yeah. And so it's really, it's a normal process, mm -hmm. but when it's gone in overdrive... It's like it's okay to eat one of those little Snicker bars, yes. but when you eat the huge one that's like a pound of Snickers, that's just way overboard. What were you thinking? You're, you're not going to do well with that. So anything in moderation your body might do is kind of normal, but then if it takes it overboard, that's, that's when we start to see damage. Yes, exactly. And, and then what we start looking at is different populations where one person might be exposed to the pound of Snickers bars or a certain pesticide and their body does fine with it and somebody else, their body doesn't. And we start seeing a neurologic disorder. And that's because different bodies have different capacities for handling things that could lead to oxidation. So how do I know if I'm oxidizing too much? Mm -hmm. So one of the indications of being in oxidative stress would be having inflammation because okay. these two are related. So let's talk about inflammation. And then how would I know if I'm inflammatorily oxidating myself? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So first to talk about inflammation. So now it's, it's much more complex than oxidation as far as it's several different pathways, a lot of different types of cells and molecules. And again, it's similar to oxidation in that it's a normal healthy reaction in the body. Like you mentioned, an injury or something. We have inflammation to help heal that injured shoulder. But then if somebody has excessive inflammation, which can actually be caused by excessive oxidation, then we might notice that they're having, for example, aches and pains or increase in different disorders and diseases, problems with digestion, all kinds of different symptoms. And so as a neuroscientist, you found that there's ways to to find the results of this oxidation and inflammation in some of these neurodegenerative disorders. So changing your... Inflama inflammation in the body, changing the oxidation, can be something we can modify by changes in diet? Yes. And so, for example, when you sit as a neuroscientist and looking at the neurologic disorders, if we think of something like um, multiple sclerosis, which has an inflammatory component to it, if we address the inflammation, then we can help treat the disease and the symptoms. We wouldn't want to leave it out of our 
of what we're doing to treat. So with, with MS, as an example, people will often be treated with steroids, steroids being a pill that someone would take that is considered to be an anti-inflammatory. Is that treating the inflammation or is that not really doing it the way we could? Yeah, I would go at that differently. And so the way I would look at this is so with multiple sclerosis, if we think about the autoimmune aspect of it, we also need to look at some of the other things that are going on. So, for example, that myelin around the neurons that folks who have multiple sclerosis, that myelin degenerates. And so that's the autoimmune component. If we only address that autoimmune component, then what we're leaving behind is that if that myelin degenerates, then things need to change in that neuron. Sodium channels need to be different. Things need to happen in order for that neuron to continue to try to fire. And in order for that to happen, mitochondria, the little powerhouses of your cell, really need to amp up. And as soon as they start increasing their activity, you have increased oxidation. And with that increased oxidation, you start seeing neurons dying and problems with the neurons. And with the increased oxidation, you start seeing increased inflammation. So now what I'm saying then as far as your question about the foods and addressing it with steroids, what I would say is let's look at this whole picture and see, okay, these folks have mitochondrial dysfunction, meaning their mitochondria are having to work harder. They have oxidation. They have inflammation. And we know of specific foods to take in and to avoid different kinds of oils, different nutrients that can help to reduce oxidation, reduce inflammation. And now you're really addressing that disorder more as a whole. And in fact, some of these approaches will also improve mitochondrial function. And, then and these that could be oh. for, for more than just MS. That could be yeah. the underlying component for a lot of different issues. Is that right? Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that too, is that, and that would be what somebody would want to do in their approach to try to prevent a neurologic disorder. So really what we're looking at with this book and with these concepts that I'm sharing with you is a way to say, okay, I don't want to get these disorders. There, there I don't want prevention. any of them. You have a yeah. whole book of neurologic disorders. I'm just going to say, count me out. I don't want any of them. Yeah. And we're looking at MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, stroke, migraine headaches, seizures. No thank you if I could avoid it. So are there some common themes that will that underlie we've talked about this process of oxidation and inflammation mm. and yet you can sometimes and mitochondrial dysfunction if you don't have a diagnosed neurologic disease how would you know if you are having these underlying issues go on in your body i know that you know people can measure things like crp which is an inflammatory marker um, they can measure other things in the body like sed rates. But how would I know if I'm feeling really good and I don't have any of these conditions? How would I know if my mitochondria are dysfunctional? Well, I would ask you, have you ever been under stress? Have you been exposed to toxins? Like every, well, <laughs> stress, which I think is a toxin, every single day. So mm. by definition, if I have stress, then I'm, I'm oxidizing. Sustained stress exposure to toxins and pesticides. So what kind of toxins? So some of the toxins could be um, pesticides would be one of the okay. things, right? So in our foods and um, toxins from body products. So we really want to try to think in terms of, I had a teacher once who said, don't put something on your body unless you'd eat it <laughs> because it's going into your cells. I'm just thinking about that for yes. a moment. 
Don't put anything on your body unless you'd eat it. Inadvertently, I might inhale perfume now and then, but that's not really something I want to do. Yeah. Okay. You don't want to eat your whole bottle of shampoo. Yeah, no, that that's definitely true. But but is it th- seeing things that way? I think, you know, she was helping us to try to think about, you know, what is this? What's this list of chemicals in this lotion that I'm rubbing on my skin? These kinds Knowing of things. that your body's absorbing some of those. And then it's going into your blood. And then we can measure it in blood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So... If I'm feeling great and I do have stress and and I may have, you know, our environment, there are a lot of toxins in the environment. Yes. So presuming that I have exposure to some of these things, what can I do? Mm-hmm. So I'd want you to look at the foods that you're eating. Let's not do that. <laughs> But let's do that. So you could look at some of the foods, and let's presume that I'm not eating Snicker bars all the time because I swear I'm not. What would be some of the foods that I would want to to have more of to help to modify this process of oxidation and inflammation? Mm-hmm. What are the good guys? Give me a list of some good guys. Okay. So starting off, and you could imagine I was going to go here with what I was saying about pesticides. I really want you to have organic as much as possible. So... Food that is grown without pesticides. Without pesticides. And then with your animal products, I'd like you to think about animals that get to be in their natural environment, right? So if you're eating beef, which is beef from cows that eat grass and get to run around, actually have omega-3. So they've actually done studies about mm-hmm. that. And then they don't, they wind up being more, it's a more natural source of meat. It's not filled with antibiotics. There's a whole different other category. So if you eat meat, then that would be something that you would want to look at. Yes, okay? and then as... as Cage-free and, eggs. Exactly. And then um, then somebody might be thinking, oh, I'm eating fish. You know, this is healthier. I'm eating fish. But is that fish fenced in somewhere and being fed corn? So, which they do with fish. They fence them in and they feed them corn. Some fish are fed soy. And so now you see situations where you might be eating fish, but you would be better off eating grass-fed beef. You know, if you're eating fish, let's make sure that what you're eating is fish from clean water. Again, I think if you just think in terms of an animal and an environment that would be natural for it and that it's being fed what it would naturally eat. So how do I know if it is? mm -hmm. So, So with labels... So reading So like read it. Mm -hmm. Read your label. And then asking people, because I think one thing that's nice too is to support our local farmers. And some of them, they might not have gone through what they need to go through to be labeled organic. But go to your farmer's market and and find out and ask them, how do you farm? What do you put on on your soil and on your plants? And then sometimes that can be an affordable way to get organic produce. So you mentioned they might not have gone through the process Mm -hmm. of being certified. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole process that farmers or other people would have to go through. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's a fairly laborious, expensive process. So if you happen to have a green thumb and decide to grow your own tomatoes, and you know that you're not putting pesticides on them, that's pretty good. But you wouldn't necessarily go to get certified as an organic farmer. Mm -hmm. So someone who's farming might also do the same thing, make these, you know, make tomatoes and not use pesticides. And you could just ask them. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're not. And if they are, then what would you do? Then, Maybe not get that one? Uh, yeah, so I think it's about balance. And so here again, I think we certainly, you mentioned that stress is toxic, right? We certainly don't want to be... Stressed s- about getting organic food? Exactly. Okay. You know, So maybe you've met somebody and it's a kind person and here's a nutrient-rich food and you really want it. And they said, well, actually, I do use pesticides. And you decide I'm going to take this home and scrub it really well with some natural dish soap. And, and could that get it off? I mean... 
if you're eating something that is growing that has been treated with pesticides, can washing it help? It can reduce, but okay. you're still going to get it. So, so yeah. So it's a it's a re, it's a way to reduce what you've had. But ideally, you'd all go back and then find the organic person before. But but along those same lines with foods, a lot of the fats that we eat have a big impact on our body. And I think we want to really look at eating healthy oils. And so I'll just leave organic out of it so I don't keep saying organic, organic over and over. But, but what's a healthy oil? But for the oils. Um, olive oil. Of, of course. Everybody says olive oil. Right. However, again, I think we need to look at balance and variety. So let's let's try to have several different oils here for the most part. We need to keep them in our refrigerator. Um, but several different oils. So use avocado oil, walnut oil. Use some of these different oils that are also very healthy and can reduce inflammation, coconut oil. But again, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm suggesting to have a balance versus, okay, always have coconut oil or always have olive oil. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good because sometimes olive oil just doesn't taste that good. Right. And so walnut oil is a nice alternative and it's good for your brain. And so then you can have that mix too. What about just eating a bunch of walnuts? Yeah, and walnuts are healthy. Nuts and seeds are so healthy and and also nice snacks. And in terms of remembering snacks, sometimes think about nut butters. Like one of the things I like is sunflower seeds made into a butter. You can buy it that way or make it and then, you know, put that on apple slices. So, yeah, nuts and seeds are very healthy. Mm-hmm. And butter is healthy, too. So, again, but get from grass-fed cows. So it's so healthy look to at eat the label. butter. Mm-hmm. Try and identify where it's from. Mm-hmm. That will help you to know if it's the healthier alternative or not. Yes. Now, you know, I often wonder, are you perfect? I mean, what if you do the best you can, like 85% of the time? Is it good enough? I mean, I I, I don't think I'm ever going to be perfect at it. If, if somebody's really intimidated by trying to follow all of these plans because they just can't be perfect all the time, isn't it good enough to just try your best and do as best as you can more often than not? Yeah, I think so. You too, yeah? I would hope so, yeah. because otherwise I would just fail. Well, yeah, and I think the thing is, is that that kind of rigidity, like you mentioned, being perfect. I makes think, me stressed. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and so I think, again, I, I like to think more in terms of balance, right? So a little bit of everything. mm -hmm, And then for that person you said who might be feeling like how could they even start, you know, begin this, I would say, well, why don't you find something that you enjoy that looks good or tastes good? Have fun with it and go buy one little small bag of some frozen organic berries or a little basket of some fruit or vegetable that just looks good. It's organic. It's colorful. And again, having a variety because I don't it's not I don't like to see people just, oh, blueberries are good. I'm going to eat those every day or you know, cranberries or goji berries, I feel like we need a variety sometimes give the berries a break. Yeah, eat them frequently during the week, but maybe for several days every so often you don't eat berries. You have Try some something else, yeah. sure. Because mm-hmm. that way you might be getting some other nutrients from a different source and you wouldn't have gotten those if you just stuck with the berries. Yes, All mix right. up the colors and mix up the food types. Okay, you're making me hungry. I'm Dr. <laughs> Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Cheryl Shook. She is the author of a book, Herbs and Nutrients for Neurologic Disorders. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what's on the good go-to list and what's on the maybe not eat so much of list. And how does that affect conditions like Alzheimer's dementia or Parkinson's or some of the other neurologic issues. How can we feed our nerves better so that they keep working longer? As always, our show is your show. You can join us at 941-3689, toll free 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
on the next humankind. The people will say, oh, gratefulness, to be truly grateful for life and grateful in life, and that is my religion. Brother David Stendel-Rost reflects on how a grateful attitude can transform the way we experience life. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. I'm Ryan Ozawa. And I'm Bert Long. Next time on Bite Marks Cafe, we'll learn about a new partnership between the Polynesian Voyaging Society and an international robotics organization. We'll explore how this partnership raises awareness of the maritime environment and how technology can be used to care for and better understand the ocean. That's next time on Bite Marks Cafe, Wednesday at 5. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Bump to the Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Here in the studio, I've got Dr. Cheryl Shook with me. She's the author of a fascinating book, Herbs and Nutrients for Neurologic Disorders, and she is a neuroscientist. And we're talking today about how we can feed those nerves to our brain and to the rest of our body. What are good things that can help keep us in balance and in health? So right before the break, we were talking a little bit about different sorts of snacks that you can get, things that you can find that are really good, have a variety of different foods, whether it be blueberries or melons or or if you want to have almonds or walnuts, there's always something out there that has some kind of nutrient ingredient that we can enjoy. Now, there's a lot of talk these days about things like natural bacteria, like probiotics. I hear that term a lot. You know, in fact, in in conventional medicine, we used to think that was kind of strange, but we've come along to it. And I think now even conventional trained doctors agree that, you know, probiotics are good if we're going to try and restore the the body's normal gut flora, or what we call the gut microbiome, all those good bacteria in your gut. And that often when we give antibiotics, we're knocking those out and we're causing a problem and a setup for troubles. So we've seen troubles with people with various different disorders that are related to extra types of bacteria in their gut. Where do we find natural sources of things like probiotics that can help us to restore balance in our digestive tract? Because I would think it's not just what you eat. It's also how your body absorbs and digests that. Yes, it is. And the thing is, is you can get probiotics from several different foods. And you're right. The research now, thankfully, it's undeniable and it's made it to mainstream medicine. So we see that in fact, all of these different neurologic disorders that I that we mention in the book, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, um, we see problems in terms of what's called a dysbiosis, right? So an imbalance in terms of the healthy bacteria in the gut. And so uh, it's one of the key things for people to address when you're saying, oh, what can I do if I, I want to avoid getting these things? One of the first things I would say is let's look at your gut health. And you mentioned briefly before looking at different tests, you know, that people could get done. And I think having somebody get a stool profile where they actually have somebody look and tell them these are the different bacteria that you have in your gut. Maybe you don't have enough of certain beneficial bacteria or perhaps you have something pathogenic in your gut that can be disrupting your gut's ability to fill 
in the spaces with the healthy bacteria that you need for absorbing nutrients, reducing inflammation, affecting your brain health. There's a very strong connection between the gut and the brain. So I really would like to see people get themselves tested to find out, okay, what's happening here so that, for example, if somebody has a pathogenic organism in the gut, then they can have that treated with medication And then if somebody says, if the practitioner says, oh, you know, you don't have enough of a certain beneficial bacteria, then they can treat that. They can target it with particular probiotics. So I want to answer your question about the foods, but what I'd like to see people do is, is if at all possible, get that information so they know what they're working with, especially if something needs to be cleared out that's pathogenic. So if you have symptoms, obviously this would be something you want to look into. If you just want to go ahead and find out your own gut biome, there's ways that you can test that. You mentioned doing a stool profile. Mm-hmm. So there's places where you can actually send your poo and yes. they will analyze it. You said it, yes. And so finding um, different uh, physicians who are up with this research about gut health and these connections will usually be able to know who to order it from, different companies like Genova Diagnostics. But typically a functional medicine practitioner or a, a medical doctor or an osteopath doctor who understands that connection, they'll usually know which tests and what to order and how to interpret them. And so then what you have is um, even somebody who's perfectly healthy, I think it's such a valuable test because then you know what you're working with. So for example, you wouldn't want to be eating your fabulous probiotic foods, which I promise I'll, I'll get to in a moment, or taking expensive probiotics if maybe they have no chance of growing because you have an overpopulation of something pathogenic in the gut. And then you would do something about that overpopulation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. Let's let's get to some of the good foods because yeah. we've got a couple of callers in the line. But where am I getting my probiotics in food? Yes. I always tell people like yogurt cultures mm-hmm. are a good plan, but then I'm lost. So okay. where else do you get them? Oh, yes. And so with yogurt, the first thing I'd suggest is for people to notice how much sugar is in their yogurt and if at all possible to try to get a yogurt that does not have sugar because sugar... Uh, causes the more uh, unhealthy bacteria to grow in the gut. So yogurt, and if possible, without any sugar or artificial sweeteners in it. But then we're surrounded by so many lovely cultures of people who also have cultures in their food. And so we see that we have products all around us like um, kombucha tea, right, that that fermented tea, and kimchi. Um, And then there's also sauerkraut, So these are things that naturally have probiotics. Yes, and they're all from different cultures too, right? Like raita is also like with Indian food and um, kefir. And if somebody's vegan, if somebody doesn't want to have animal products, they can get things like uh, coconut milk, kefir. So there's ways to do it. Yeah. So you can get probiotics from food. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to get like probiotics in a pill. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there are some sources and you just mentioned quite a few of those that expand my knowledge beyond yogurt and I'm, I'm out. Okay. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We have Curtis calling in from Molokai. Curtis, welcome to the body show. Aloha. Aloha. What can we do for you today? I'm, I'm thinking that we, uh, local people, you know, want to buy local, but every now and then, there's a blurb, like, from the Bezel. Curtis, the we're water. hearing you, but we want you to turn off your radio because we're kind of hearing two of you. Okay, sorry about that. That's okay. 
Turn it I, off I'm real quick. I'm wondering if there's a clearinghouse where we as local people can rest assured what we're buying is organic or is pesticide, you know, reduced, not free. And because, you know, like I said earlier in the year and the last years, the past few years, uh, watercress farms, basil farms, uh, there's been sweet corn farms that have been, they found that when they went to market, the state had tested it, they had high levels of this, so they pulled all the stuff. And, you know, I want to buy local, but I'm just not certain. You know, I'm just really uncertain. And that's a dilemma, I think, with a lot of local people because, you know, all of a sudden, boom, there's something that's organic. But, you know, it's, you know, we, we're, we're skeptical, we're leery. You know, well, what's, what's your thoughts on that? It's a good point, Curtis, and I think you bring up a really important aspect of it, which is, okay, so now you've committed, you want to eat local, you want to go ahead and get it from your local farmers. What do you do about the fact that every once in a while things get pulled off because they're found to have bacterial contamination of some sort? How do we how do we ensure that we're able to eat local and do so in a healthy fashion? What do you do? I would say I would do the same thing with organics and with the foods that are sprayed with pesticides. For example, we see lettuces that have hepatitis from farms that use pesticides, but because of the way the farm workers are treated, they end up there ends up being pestis, uh, hepatitis in the... So what maybe. would you so, do differently? So you'd like super wash? Mm-hmm. So just being thorough with washing. And um, and I like I said, I would do that the same if it was organic. No matter where not. you got it from, wash it well. Yes. Wash it with natural, you mentioned natural dish detergent. Oh, well, I was talking about like if you picked up something that you knew had pesticides on it, then maybe scrub it with a natural dish soap. Yeah, before you would eat it. But, but And make sure you'd rinse that off thoroughly. But I would just say with any type of foods or produce, there's going to be different risks. And so then just thorough washing. Yeah, because there's not a guarantee just because something's been treated with pesticides that it's not going to have something infectious. And typically with organic farms, they're more balanced in their approach and less likely to have something pathogenic happen. Now, is it silly of me to say, why don't you just cook it? If you wanted to have what you're eating cooked, yeah. I mean, obviously I'm not saying cook your lettuce because that doesn't (laughs) sound too appetizing. But if like, you know, you're afraid, you're worried, you bought some tomatoes, you think that they may be something that you're worried about infection, you could actually scrub it well, like you mentioned. But if you put it into something that you've cooked, by cooking it, you may be denaturing some of those other types of pathogens that you don't necessarily want to eat. Yeah. True? Yeah, sure. I just make that up. No, yeah. But I'm not cooking my lettuce, trust yeah. me people. Yeah. I'm not cooking lettuce. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and so and I actually your caller is calling in at just the right time because talking about eating probiotics. If somebody's eating a range of different probiotic foods and they do take something in that's a little bit pathogenic, there's a better chance that their body will be able to just take care of it and they won't even notice that they had it. I mean, depending on what it is. But I would still recommend thorough washing of all produce before eating. And we have things on island too. We want to make sure we scrub off. You know, Absolutely. So there isn't really a clearinghouse, but if you are concerned, be careful with where you're getting your food from, and then also scrub it, take care of it, make sure that you're washing it appropriately, and it's probably going to be safer for you to ingest. Okay. We've got Gary on the line from Hilo. Gary, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Um, could you spell Dr. Shook's name, please? Well, I'm going to have her do it, because she is a good authority on that. Hi there. My last name, Shook, is just as if I shook your hand. It's S-H-O-O-K. Thanks for asking. S-H-O-O-K. Good. And um, do you have a website, Dr. Shook? Uh, yes. It's called Your Balanced 
yourbalancedhealing.com. It's yourbalancedhealing.com. Mm -hmm. And I have a sleep wellness handout on there and then also a whole uh, two-page document about brain health and things that could help you out. So you can just get right on there and get that information, yeah. Yourbalancedhealing.com. Mm -hmm. Great. Also, I have a question about, I know it's a good idea to soak seeds and nuts um, to eliminate the phytic acid to make them more digestible. And, and um, I have a dilemma. I love nut butters. I get, you know, like tahini in a jar. It's already made up. It's raw. I wonder if it's how raw it really is, but I have to contact the company to, to inform me on that. But um, I'm wondering about, it says it's raw and organic tahini on the label. Um, how would I soak, <laughs> do you have any, any ideas on how to soak this raw tahini to eliminate the phytic acid from the sesame seeds that it's made from? You know, I have an idea for you. If you're wanting to soak it, what I'm wondering is, do you have any sort of a blender or food processor so you could buy yourself some sesame seeds and then you could soak them to get to what you're wanting and then you could blend yeah. that up? But what if I want to... Okay, yeah, that, that's, right? that, that I could do, mm -hmm. but that is not, even with a Vitamix, that putting sesame seeds and garlic and whatever in the Vitamix mm -hmm. and... Making a thick butter isn't quite the same as a nut butter you buy from, you know, in the natural food stores. It's, it's different. I have an idea for you because I do the same, and I found the same thing the first time I tried it, and I thought, what's different? And I started noticing if I added a little bit of a flavorless oil, like a little bit of walnut oil or a little bit of sesame oil, that then I was able to get that same result. Really? Mm hmm Try that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll try that. And you mentioned raita. I've, I know that's an Indian. Is that a, a rice, a fermented rice? It's it's like a yogurt. It's a dairy oh. product, and sometimes it'll have little pieces of cucumber in it. Mm -hmm. Raita, mm -hmm. and it's made from dairy. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll look that up. Okay. Okay, All great. Right. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Dr. Shook. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling us today, Gary. Some great questions on logistics. How do you actually do this and make this. And it sounds like I'm just going to go to your house, Cheryl, and I'm just going to say, teach me all you know and feed me your healthy food. And I bet it'll taste delicious. That would be my pleasure. Let's do it. Uh-oh, that's that's an offer. I'm going to take her up on that. <laughs> all right. So now we were talking a little bit about foods that have have probiotics in it. But there's another concept that sometimes people are talking about, which is things like prebiotics, things to support the bacteria that are actually in your colon, in your gut, and help with digestion, not just as a probiotic, but there's this other concept of something called prebiotics. What, what's that? Yeah, so prebiotics are nourishing your probiotics. So these beneficial bacteria that are your microbiota, we need to give them nourishment as well. And They're hungry. They want to eat. They want to eat. What do they want to eat? They want to eat fiber. So think fiber. Mm. And then also, so... Um, Onions, chives, jicama, uh, garlic, avocados, peas. I mean, just think of these all these different foods with fibers in them. Um, and those are going to nourish the beneficial bacteria. And then also there's fascinating research about what you feed your body changes the profile of your microbiota. So if you feed yourself 
excessive junk foods or sugary foods, then you start growing more of the bacteria that makes you crave those foods. So it's one of the approaches for weight management and healthy eating habits is to change the microbiota, change the bacteria in your gut, and you can change your food cravings. Wow, I'm kind of blown away by that idea. So if you're craving a lot of sugar, you might be getting that craving from the bacteria in your gut that are releasing some kind of something that tells your body, you need to feed me, I want more sugar. And so you're actually feeding your gut literally with the stuff the bacteria are craving. And if you change which bacteria they are, that could change what you crave. So you could actually, at some point in your life, crave Brussels sprouts and not just because somebody said you have to eat them or else you're punished. It's so true. Like my daughter who says to me when she was little, do you really like cauliflower? She just wouldn't believe it. And yes, I, I actually do like cauliflower. And yeah, these, these uh, microbes, these bacteria can affect mood food cravings. They can affect a tendency toward obesity. They affect insulin sensitivity. In the Netherlands, they're doing fecal transplants. They've done that in the United States too, mainly for Clostridium difficile infections that are unable to be treated. So there are people who are doing that for specific medical conditions, Mm -hmm. but it certainly sounds like they're taking it a little bit further in the Netherlands to try and do this for people who have not necessarily this pathogenic bacteria, but just to help alter what's going on in their body. Yeah, metabolic disorders. All right. I'm going to go to the Netherlands. Let's talk with Jerry from Honolulu. Jerry, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Um, good afternoon, Dr. Shook. Good afternoon, um, Dr. Kozak. Good afternoon. I, my question is regarding to the pathogenic organism inside your body. I did hear a little bit regarding to the beets and uh, cauliflower. I personally like kimchi and personally like broccoli and all of that. Is there anything that I could eat additional to that, you know, opposed from the prescription drugs to get rid of, like, those kind of pathogenic organisms or prevent them from being in my gut? Yeah, it's a great question, Jer. So do we actually treat pathogenic organisms with antibiotics? I would assume no. But maybe the answer is yes, because antibiotics kill good guys and bad guys. So if you're trying to get rid of the bad guys alone, how do we do that? You mentioned earlier, treat with medicine. How how do we do that? Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm understanding from the functional medicine standpoint, what a lot of those folks would be doing is they would very often actually treat with an antibiotic or an antiparasitic. They would use medications that would knock out the that, bad guys. that pathogen if that's, if that's the only way to do it. And sometimes that is. Okay. And then they would also have a sense of, okay, now these are the probiotics we're going to give you now that we've knocked those out. So sometimes they actually would use. So yeah. get rid of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And there are some antibiotics that target certain things in the gut more than others. Yes, and that's They're nice... generally not broad spectrum. They're very targeted. Mm-hmm. And then repopulate with some good guys. Yes, and that's a nice thing about getting the uh, stool profile done is because then you can see exactly what are those pathogenic microbes and which medication would, which prescription would be best to treat that. But then if in your listener's case, if he's wanting to try to look for something to do because, um, you know, if if you're believing that you have something pathogenic, but you don't want to see a doctor for this, 
Um, I suppose one of the things that some people use is grapefruit seed extract. Have you ever heard of that, Dr. Kozak? I'm going to say no. Yeah, so, so grapefruit seed extract can destroy a lot of the pathogenic bacteria, but then it's getting back to the same thing with antibiotics. Yes, it's natural, but it's going to knock out the good guys too. And so then you have to know what to get in with the good mm-hmm. guys. Yeah, so it's nice to work with a healthcare practitioner if you really want to fine-tune it. But yeah. But if you're just going on the... You're Jerry, you're like, I'm just going to do this. I eat really healthy. Mm-hmm. You could look at grapefruit seed es- extract mm-hmm. as a way to sort of rebalance. And I mean, I guess naively, if you feel good, if you're not having joint aches or pains, if you're eating healthy foods, if you're having regular bowels and all that kind of stuff, could you kind of say, all right, I'm doing a good job? You could absolutely say you're doing a good job, but that would not rule out that you had some sort of dysbiosis. And because with the neurologic disorders and mood disorders, depression, uh, diabetes, obesity, so many of these different things now, we're understanding that there's a link between the gut health. I would feel like it would. it's just, yes, you could say you're doing a good job, but you still might have something going on in the gut, and it's worth taking a look and finding out. Dash my hopes for an easy cure. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio talking with Dr. Cheryl Shook. She's the author of a fascinating book from a neuroscientist perspective, Herbs and Nutrients for Neurologic Disorders. We've been talking more about what we put in our body and how we digest it because these are the basics of how to avoid these other conditions. When we come back, we're going to talk more specifically about ways that we can improve our brain function so that we don't lose our memory as we get older, Alzheimer's being something that a lot of us fear because of the percentage of people who seem to be diagnosed regularly with us. Now, as always, our show is your show, and we will be open to callers at 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. How much collective generational guilt can one person carry? For Japanese Cultural Center's Executive Director, Carol Hayashino, It was enough to keep her away from the Pearl Harbor Memorial for over 20 years. We'll talk with her, and we'll hear about some of the music of this season from the Honolulu Pops. Join us tomorrow morning at 8 for the conversation. Hola, this is Sandy Tsukiyama, inviting you to join me Saturdays from 4 to 6 as we share music, news updates, visits with special guests, and perhaps even some Portuguese language on Brazilian Experience on HPR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Hawaii Pacific University and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Cheryl Shook. And today we are talking about how you can change how you feel and how your body functions based on what you eat from a neuroscientist perspective. Now, right before the break, we were talking about different ways that we can think we're doing a great job, but might still have some of those pathogenic bacteria in our body we need to find out about. And before we talk more about how to fix that and hopefully avoid getting some of these neurologic issues, I want to talk with Sachi, very patient on the line from Kona. Sachi, welcome to The Body Show. Hello there. 
Hello there. What um, can we do for you? I'm, I'm about, I'm uh, pretty old, and I've learned a lot of things over the years, and I just want to bring up three things that I know of that work amazing. One is aloe vera, not from a jar, but from the plant. Anybody can plant it in their yard as long as they plant it kind of on the um, west side in shade where it gets a little water and not too much stuff. Um, it, it actually cured my sister of asthma. It, it cured me of a pancreatic problem that I had. Um, I've used it for stomach problems. Or I've used it on my dogs for you know, skin problem. I mean, the stuff is in the pyramids. It's one of the only plants that are drawn up pyramids. The second okay, thing second thing? Fulvic acid. If you don't know what it is, you need to find out. It's F-U-L-V as in Victor, I-C. Fulvic acid. I don't want to go into a big, long thing about it. Just make sure you, <laughs> make sure you look up fulvic acid. All right, something to look okay. up. And your third topic that you wanted to bring up? Bay leaf. Bay leaves. When I was in Mexico, I was very ill. I thought I was going to die. And this little Mexican lady, I was living with these this group of Mexicans in the middle of nowhere, up in Desierto de Los Leones, above Mexico City. In, in, Indian people, Mayan people. And um, this lady mixed up uh, some bay leaf tea. She's called it Laurel and gave it to me with a, just a pinch of a baking soda. And I went from feeling like I was going to die for a week uh, to the next morning waking up, and it was gone. All so right. Well, Sachi, it sounds like you've got some really interesting uh, advice for people. If they want to grow old and, and live healthy, you found some all-natural ways to do that. And it's interesting. You know, Dr. Shook, we often hear about people looking to indigenous cultures that do something differently than we do. And you mentioned in the next, later this month, you're actually going to Cuba to find out about how the people in Cuba, the physicians, the the practitioners, have learned how to use herbal treatments because they didn't even have, in some cases, medications available. And they're, they're advanced in what they do because they had to be. And a lot of cases, you know, you hear about, you know, Sachi saying, living in Mexico, and maybe they had to figure out how to treat these conditions. Do we have a lot to learn from some of the ways that indigenous peoples have treated their medical conditions and maybe find out that they they probably are doing a better job than, in some cases, conventional doctors like myself are? I think we can learn so much from these folks because I think if we even just look to our own spice rack and try to expand it, you know, she had mentioned using bay leaves and I think if we think rather than, for example, turmeric is, has some fabulous health properties, and so then now we're hearing of people just eating spoonfuls of turmeric. and Kind of well, taking it overboard. Yes, and, and so, however, so we could see that and say, oh, yeah, let's, let's incorporate turmeric every so often and start using it as anti-inflammatory and helps us in so many ways. But what I would encourage is related to what you're talking about, which is saying, okay, there are these folks from 
all different kinds of backgrounds and ancestry and all over the world and they use all kinds of different spices and herbs these spices and herbs for the most part are medicinal and so many of them are antioxidant anti-inflammatory they help the gut they help mitochondria you know all these different aspects that we want to look to so i would really encourage your listeners to explore some spices and herbs and go and just maybe buy a couple new spices or a couple new herbs and just try them taste it smell it and see how you like it if you want to look into it you can but you don't even have to go that far if you want to just try learning more about how to use different herbs and spices just from the grocery store. So spices, in addition to herbs, mm-hmm. can also provide some of these these beneficial effects, yes. antioxidant effects, anti-inflammatory effects. So when you say, I want to I wanna have some food that has extra spices, not necessarily hot spice, but just different types of curry spice or turmeric, etc., that's actually doing something good for your body? Yes, yes. And so that, yeah. So adding ginger, you know, is a, of course, we have some nice fresh ginger here, too. But, you know, just looking at these different curcumin, coriander, cumin. Yes. Wonderful. All right. It's making me hungry. Mm. It's dinner time. This is a bad plan. But now all of a sudden I want to go get some delicious food of all different ethnic backgrounds. All right. Let's talk to Donna from Volcano. Donna, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Thanks for letting me join in. What a great show, doctors. I'm really enjoying your conversation. I just stumbled upon the show for the first time, and I'm just thrilled. And maybe uh, maybe Dr. Shirk will have to come back for part two because it sounds like there's so much more to talk about. Part two and three and four. We're going to have yeah. to keep on oh, once going. A month. Once a month. <laughs> oh, you just brought a big smile my way. Thank you. You know, I learned that poi uh, was a great probiotic back when it was made uh, pa'i style, old style way. And like in the song, you know, Grandma likes to pour real sour. And people with hot hands uh, weren't the ones who did the pounding because they put the wrong bacteria in. So only the people with the the right bacteria. And I've learned that uh, salt in the uh, sauerkraut or uh, the sea salt, the seawater in the poi, allows only the good bacteria to grow and of course if you cook the sauerkraut of the kimchi you lose your your uh, bacteria interesting donna so you've even found that local ways local foods like poi and i've heard that before that the old style where it was kind of sour poi actually contained some things and when you think about it if it if it was growing the right type of bacteria that would get into your colon system as a probiotic that was not craving sugar and then you would make you not necessarily overeat sugar then potentially that in and of itself is the connection that we're talking about here fantastic I mean, we're hearing, and I'd love to hear from Volcano, because up until the new transmitter, we haven't had a chance to hear from Volcano. Oh, so welcome, fabulous Volcano. to know that, that you're, you're there, you're listening, we're having an impact. And now, you know, the whole idea of sour poi, that's true. I've heard that before. I think we could make that connection. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thanks for bringing that, yes. bringing that to light. If you have time for a couple more things, uh, there's a great cleaner I use. So the only one on the label that says uh, biodegrades to water and minerals, or carbon dioxide and minerals, and that's uh, just the one brand. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it's great stuff. I wash my lettuce, everything in it, a couple drops, you know, in the bowl. Wonderful. Well, why don't you tell us the brand, and then we've got some more callers that are waiting, so we will definitely have to get Dr. Shook back. I'm sorry? Planet is the name of it. 
Planet. Okay. Well, we will end on that note, but I'm glad that you are there listening in Volcano and that you've, you've actually found some Hawaii elements of natural things that are eaten that can actually help people to restore what's going on in their body. I think that's absolutely fantastic. We've got Thames from Honolulu on the line. Welcome to The Body Show. Uh, from Honolulu. Oh, from Honolulu. That's my handwriting, I'll tell you. That's my fault. So Thames from Honolulu. Um, Even more exciting than Honolulu, if you ask me. What can we do for you today? Well, I have been eating very healthy, gluten-free, sugar-free for a long, long time. And I was also, but I was doing uh, kombucha deeper, and we made our own and we were doing a lot of this. I've got a very good friend of mine who lives uh, a doctor over in on uh, Oahu, and he flies over every now and then. We talked about nutritional things, and one of the things that we talked about was the kombucha and the fever and all of that. His view is that we know less about nutrition than we do about a lot of other things, and that he wasn't really quite sure that kombucha and fever had any kind of positive effect. And I continued to do it. One day, he sent me a study. Uh, it was a broadcast uh, podcast that said that uh, in the Netherlands, they did a, um, a very in-depth study on kombucha and kefir and yogurt. And what they did is they tested the um, fecal matter for evidence of the fact that the bacteria, in, when you eat it, that are the uh, microbes, when you eat them, that they do actually have some effect, because if they were live and they did have some effect, it seems as if they would have some change in the species, um, or at least some evidence of it. And, and the study found, you know, multi-month study found no evidence of any um, effect of things like, because um, I, I did a lot of my own sauerkraut, and I was doing all this stuff, and and this study just kind of almost made me feel like I've been misled. Well, you know, it's certainly, I think, part of what we're now learning in the field of medicine. And even, you know, Dr. Shook, you mentioned functional medicine, et cetera, is that there is so much about nutrition and diet that we don't know. And I think it's it's maybe something that I hate to call it an emerging science because I think there are probably people who have been doing this their whole lives and it's now just going mainstream. But do you find that often that, you know, a lot of the more you look into these different types of nutrients and how to prevent certain neurologic conditions, the more you discover that we just, there's so much more we need to know? It does feel that way, yes. And then sometimes the studies could be contradictory because maybe they're not examining the element or the aspect that is of interest or other conditions that could have been a factor. Mm -hmm. Well, and I often find that we just completely underestimate the value of nutrition and what we eat and how our body responds to that. Because for thousands of years, people lived without antibiotics. They lived without other modern things that we're using now. And granted, lifespan has increased over time and all these other things have improved. But it still makes me wonder, there's natural things out there that we are just not fully aware of. And we need to look closer into it. So from a neuroscientist perspective, you've really worked hard to try and do this. And uh, it sounds like you've certainly found ways to incorporate this into your daily activities and also ways to explain how it works on the brain. When when we try and prevent something, like like let's talk about my fear, dementia. We have just a few more minutes, and we're going to talk about 
about how to keep my brain going. Mm. What are some of the simple things? We've talked a lot about different foods. We've talked a lot about how to wash them and find organic. What are some other things that I could do to prevent getting some of these neurologic conditions you talk about? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I would encourage is some sort of a, a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice. So de-stressing my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we I'll find, put it on my list, but not get stressed about it. Yes, because the thing is a practice like this, and, and I encourage people to just start with, you know, three minutes, three nights a week, something that's accessible for them uh, to just sit and, and rest and be aware when you start thinking. Because when we start being aware of when we start thinking and come back to something like focusing on the breath, we're training our mind to have that kind of awareness, and then that practice can generalize into the day, and we would reduce our tendency to multitask and to be spinning out with all kinds of thoughts and dramas. And, and that how does really that help? help? How does it help mm. the brain? What do you mm-hmm. see neurologically when mm-hmm. you're looking at brain cells? How does meditation actually cause a benefit? Mm-hmm. So what happens is with meditation, we see changes in all kinds of areas in the body. And it can reduce, just quite simply, it can reduce the stress and the manifestation of stress in the body. So not only that meditation practice that you're doing in the evening, but the way it generalizes to how you behave during the day. And we can see changes in insulin sensitivity and food cravings and other habits. So the stress that can make me, excuse me, make my body oxidize or get inflamed that can result in those other negative effects in the body that lead to the sugar cravings the, and which feed the bacteria that tend to multiply that crave more sugar. So really working on lowering stress can have a direct impact on brain health. Yes, and lowering it by doing the simple practice. Yes, just a, a relaxing meditation practice. A relaxing practice. meditation practice. What else can people do? They can work on their foods. They can try and lower their stress levels. They can work on meditation practices. Are there any other things exercise play a role here? Yes, the two things I would really like to add, and the one would be exercise. There is such strong evidence, and you mentioned about dementia, very strong and clear evidence that regular exercise reduces the chance of having neurologic disorders and and dementia in particular, and the links have to do with cardiovascular and other aspects of the body, but um, it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be something that just makes you a little bit sweaty, gets your heart rate up a little bit, and do that for 30 minutes every other day has a big impact on the brain neurological health and then the other thing is sleep Mm -hmm. and sleep is a huge important issue Mm -hmm. and you've spent years trying to help people to figure out how they can work on improving their sleep yes and you have a sleep handout now you mentioned to one of our callers earlier that there is a place where if they want to get more information about some of the things we talked about they could go to your website and yourbalancedhealing.com is that Mm -hmm. right yes So there they can get some more information. And also there is the book, which I have, I'm looking at, have in my hand. I'll post a picture of this on Facebook for folks. Herbs and Nutrients for Neurologic Disorders. Treatment strategies, if you have conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, stroke, multiple sclerosis, migraine, seizures, it's ways to incorporate healthy nutrition and nutrients. Not saying you're not going to do your traditional medication and treatment by Western physicians, by conventional medicine but to add this other element. Fantastic. We are definitely, you know, one of our callers said we need to have you back. We need to have you back not once, not twice, but, you know, maybe every month because there's so much more than I know we want to talk about that we didn't even get a chance to get to yet. So you're committed. I'm going to come to your house for dinner someday, but you're going to come back on The Body Show. It will be my pleasure to come back. 
All right. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kosovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will be here again next week, and we're going to talk some more about ways to keep ourselves as healthy as we can. We'll see you next Monday. Woo!